on Power Talk AM 1460 and FM 101.1. Streaming worldwide on iHeartRadio. Jan Price talks to the movers and shakers in the film business. The Jan Price Show. You're listening to The Jam Price Show, all about movies. And today, my guest is documentary filmmaker Luke Lorenzen. And we're talking about his new documentary, Midnight Family. Welcome to the show, Luke. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. Um, this movie has gotten quite a bit of buzz, uh, Midnight Family. And you are on the shortlist for Oscars. And by the time the show airs, we'll know whether you've been nominated for an Oscar or not. Do do you want to tell the audience a little bit what being shortlisted means for the Oscars? Um, yeah, <laughs> it's, uh, I, I guess, a simple way of putting it is it's the 15 finalists that are picked before the five nominations come out. So th- this year there were um, somewhere between 150, 170 documentaries that were qualified for the Oscar, um, which means they either won an award at a top film festival or had a theatrical release. Um, and then of that group of movies, 15 are selected. And from those 15, five films are nominated. Um, so we're going to just keep our fingers tightly crossed and see what happens. Very exciting. Very, very exciting. So let's uh, tell the audience what Midnight Family is all about. Yeah, so uh, Midnight Family tells the story of a family in Mexico City that operates for-profit ambulance. The government has fewer than 45 ambulances for a population of about 9 million people in, in Mexico City. And so a lot of the emergency work is done by these kind of mom and pop ambulance businesses that, uh, respond to accidents on a, on a, you know, a for-profit model. And, you know, you watch this family, the Achella family over the course of the film start to juggle these really big ethical dilemmas between just staying afloat as a family, just putting food on the table and also treating people properly. Um, and it's a story that I um, discovered while I was living in Mexico City. And I spent about um, on and off three years with this family in the back of their ambulance filming their, their everyday life. Three years. It took you three years to make this. Wow. I had no idea. Because it just looks like it's a couple of nights in their lives when you watch it. So, why did, first of all, I want to ask you, why did you move to Mexico City to begin with? Um, it was rather spontaneous, but my, my college roommate was from there, had graduated, and he was moving back home and kind of convinced me to go with him. And I did. I, I, I didn't think I would stay for very long. I think I would, you know, maybe a, a month or two and come back to the States. But in that first kind of period there, I, I woke up and parked in front of the apartment I was staying in was this family in there in their ambulance. And I I guess there was something immediately intriguing about it that I started just chatting with them. And little did I know, and next thing I knew, I I was in the back riding riding along and ended up just staying in Mexico City for for the next... You know, several years. I just moved back to the states in um, this past August. Well, that is interesting. So, had you set out to become a filmmaker before you had gone to Mexico City, or did you just decide to become a filmmaker once you got there and met this family? I, I've been making films since I was like ten years old. Um, not very good ones, but I've been shooting things and editing and putting clips together for a while and in college started to do it more seriously 
um, and started to really try and, you know, make short documentaries. Um, my first kind of real attempt at, you know, a, a proper film was, you know, the summer after my sophomore year of college, where I made a short film about a fishing community off the coast of Cartagena in Colombia. Um, and that experience kind of proved to me that if I really went for it, I could, I could maybe, you know, be a filmmaker and, and make films. And so I, was really looking for something to, to sink my teeth into after I graduated, and the Ochoa family were kind of the first intriguing thing that came my came my way. At the same time, I was also working in the um, as one of the cinematographers on a Netflix series called Last Chance You. So I was also working with people that had a lot more experience than me in, in terms of directing, and, and were teaching me a lot while I was doing that. So I, I was spending about maybe four months a year in the states on that show, and the remaining eight months in Mexico with the Ochoa family. Did you, now you went to Stanford. Did you study film at Stanford? What, or did you, what did you study if you didn't study film? I studied art history and film studies. Oh, so okay. I didn't take any production or filmmaking classes, but I learned a lot about the history of film and I was watching an enormous amount of films. And I think that was like really the right way for me to get into all this. I, I think I started making documentaries because I just wanted to get started. I wanted to go and make a film and I didn't have, you know, resources or even friends to put together a crew or, or get actors. And I felt like if I had a camera and a good idea, I could go make a documentary. And so that's kind of how I got, how I got started. And here you are shortlisted for an Oscar. That's pretty amazing with your first full-length feature documentary, right? Your other one was a short? I, I, yeah, I did I did another film. Um, that was my undergraduate thesis that was, I guess, technically full-length, but probably, should, probably shouldn't have been. <laughs> so I kind of um, talk about Midnight Family as my first kind of professional, or first film out of college, I guess you could say. Well, you're getting rave reviews for this film. Um, that's how I came across your film. Um, someone touted it to me, uh, someone I knew and said, you must see this movie. And, uh, and uh, all the reviews that I have read have just been stunning. And as I said, here you are shortlisted for an Oscar. So that's pretty amazing. So t- let's talk about the experience because you did everything on this film. You were the director, the producer, the cinematographer and the editor. Uh, so let's talk about each one of those roles. Uh, and which one you liked best out of that, and and then I, but let, let's just ask you that first, and then we'll go into my next question. Uh, out of all of that, what do do you like best? I, I kind of think of it as these seasons of filmmaking, where you know you spend so much time shooting, and then you start to tell yourself that you're never going to shoot another film again in your life because it's you're so worn out, and then so you start editing. <laughs> and then <laughs> editing gets you get so worn out then you start distributing and and then you kind of start over with the next film so i, I like all of it honestly i mean the shooting is very physical you're kind of really active you're out in the world engaging with people and you get home at the end of the night and your hands are just kind of covered in dirt and you're sweaty and physically beat um editing is kind of the opposite you're just sitting in a chair all day but you're just in your head all day and it's this really intellectual process of putting together this labyrinth of a story um and so that's really fun too and producing is all about kind of uh hustling and and getting to know people and and kind of pushing the film with different industry and that is also exciting so I, i honestly like it all and i think 
with Midnight Family, I, I just was pushing the process to be much more like writing a novel than, you know, making a Hollywood film. I, I wanted it to be small and intimate, and I wanted to be involved in everything like a, you know, like a writer would be. I wanted to kind of strip the process of all of the logistics, all the money, all of the kind of chaos that comes with most big movies and create this really kind of this experience that was all about my relationship with this family. And over the course of three years, most of the work that I did was building that connection and building a relationship that really supported an, an unusual look into their way of life. So what was the biggest challenge in creating this movie about this family? Um, you know, <laughs> every day there, there would be something that, that pops up. It, it, it's None of it really came easily. None of it was kind of handed to us either. It was all about kind of fighting to, to get things to be the way that we knew they could. Um, I, I think in when I think back on it, you know, the experience of being in this ambulance pulled me in so many different directions. You know, there were some nights where I would see this family showing up to accidents where no other ambulances were in sight and they would save someone's life. Um, and I would think of them as these, as these kind of heroic guardians of this corrupt dysfunctional city and then other nights would show up and they would do something for money that would put a patient in a really tricky situation. And I would really start to question their motives. Um, and it took me a really long time to figure out how to kind of grapple with that spectrum and how to communicate that to people. And it slowly kind of came out as this family, this good family that was ultimately stuck in a place where their ability to always do the right thing or do what I wanted them to was kind of stripped from them. And communicating that to, to audiences was really tricky. There were cuts of the film that kind of sugarcoated the reality and just portrayed them as heroes because I was too scared to kind of throw them under the bus. And then there were other cuts that didn't sugarcoat how dark and complicated things get that, just did throw them under the bus and didn't communicate kind of how much I cared about them as people. And it all kind of came down to the last week of not just the last week, but all the way to the last week of editing when we were kind of adding a shot here, getting that balance between good and bad to a place that really matched how I felt, you know, every night when I was, when I was with them. Well, it, it, there are times, I mean, it's, did you ever feel like when you're racing uh, to, whether it's an accident or just racing to go, uh, whether it was a fire or whatever, when you're racing through the streets of Mexico City, um, did you ever feel like your own life was, you know, maybe in jeopardy? Because they really are, you know, taking, I mean, they were taking huge risks as a far as that, that's the way it felt as a viewer. Um, was that the case? Were they taking these huge risks driving through that kind of traffic to get to where they needed to get to before other ambulances got there? Um, and and, uh, um, I, I, I think I was just so focused on making the film and on, on, you know, I was so absorbed in that world that I wasn't really thinking about that. <laughs> I, you know, the, the, the safety of it 
felt manageable to me. And I, I think I was diligent about trying to put myself in situations that felt um, calculated. And at times I would get pushed into places that felt a little bit riskier, but I think that's just the challenge of being, of telling this type of story is that it's a really unpredictable space. Um, I, I don't know if that's the most fulfilling, fulfilling answer. I, I felt like the Achoas really kind of cared about me and, and, kind of went out of their way in a lot of instances to make sure that um we'd be we'd be okay you know it wasn't there are so many so many other filmmakers out there taking risks that are much larger than the one that i took to tell important stories you know we weren't in a war zone and we weren't in a situation where um you know that level of danger was ever present i think really the biggest risk is the one that you kind of described was just the way that they drive and um Juan this kind of 17 year old who drives the ambulance is really good at his job <laughs> he does take really big risks but he's also a, a really exceptional driver he was pretty amazing I mean he ran the show I mean he was just uh I really I, I was blown away by him because he kind of took care of everything for the family and his brother and the business and kind of just was, I mean, when you find out he's only 17 years old, I was rather amazed. Um, yeah. <laughs> because he just really had the handle on everything. I mean, he's telling his father what to do, you know, <laughs> and yeah. how to do it. Uh, you know, and he just took over. I thought he, and taking care of his brother, you know, his younger brother. Uh, it's kind of interesting that an interesting relationship that they had um, too. So it was real interesting. So how was your relationship with them? Um, did it ever get uh, well? You, you know, first of all, it had to be interesting for you to approach them about filming them. So how did that come about? Um, well, I, I kind of told that story of, of really just meeting them in front of my in front of the apartment that I was staying in. Yeah, you know, I. I just saw Josue, who is this, um, he's like this nine-year-old boy who's the youngest of the family, and he was just kind of playing soccer around the ambulance, and I kind of quickly saw that this looked like a family business. You know, about 60% of people in Mexico make a living in some sort of, like, informal economy. Um, so it could be, you know, a taco stand on the side of the street, or a healthcare business like, like the Achoa. <laughs> and I was kind of curious to dive into that. And, um, they were really quick to let me in. I, I, I didn't show up and say, I want to, you know, film you guys for three years. It, I, you know, I, I said, can I come tonight and film you guys work? And it went pretty well. And I said, can I come tomorrow? And then slowly by, you know, little by little, we started to find ourselves together every single day I, I would meet up with them at two or three in the afternoon and we'd film sometimes till nine or 10 the next morning. Um, and you know, when you think of like the craft of, of filmmaking, people are so quick to jump to, um, cinematography or editing or even producing. But with this film, it was really all about trust building. That was what I was spending every day doing was just convincing this, family or not, not convincing proving to this family that kind of having me around was kind of more interesting than not and giving them the space to tell their their story um 
there were times where I felt really uncomfortable with certain dynamics of the industry. And I knew that I would have to include that in the film and would try my best to kind of pull them aside. And after, you know, when I was feeling that way and say, Hey, you know, these are the sorts of things that I want to be in the film. And slowly they kind of opened up and agreed to include all that stuff in a way that I really admire. It's not easy to be so vulnerable and, and open on, on camera. And, and they were really kind of bold in letting me do that. Yes, they were. They really were. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to the Jam Price Show All About Movies, and my guest today is documentary filmmaker Luke Florenson, and we're talking about his new documentary, Midnight Family. How did the family uh, respond after they saw the movie? Um, you know, it's always this it's such a nerve-wracking moment when you show the protagonist of a documentary the film for the first time because as much as you kind of try to communicate to them what the film is going to be like there's always you know a big gap there and so i i hadn't shown them any footage over the course of that three-year period until the film was almost done editing I, I, and i wanted to show them a cut before we locked the picture to kind of just make sure there weren't you know any big surprises and I, I went over to their house and we put it up on the tv and i was i was so nervous but press play and in the first scene there's kind of a a moment where the little nine-year-old boy pops out of a cubby hole in the back of the ambulance and kind of reveals that he's riding along and the whole family just started cracking up and <laughs> that started this flow of laughter and just appreciation for for the film and the way that it was done it was really kind of one of the most memorable moments of my of my life and they asked for no no changes and have showed up to festivals all over all over mexico and i came to sundance for the premiere and got a standing ovation in front of like 700 people and you know a lot of one of the big lessons of of this film is you know sometimes the more vulnerable people are the more lovable they are too and you kind of have to take mm -hmm. this leap of faith that by showing people at their most broken um people will um understand them and and, and appreciate them um and i feel like that's really kind of played out with this film that the achoas again were were bold and interesting and letting me show everything about how their business works the good the bad the ugly and um, people have embraced them for it. And it's been a really special journey for, for all of us. Well, the, yeah, it, well, the proof is definitely there in, in the film itself. How, when you, uh, when they lost a patient, how, what was that like for you as a filmmaker? Um, well, you know, the, the scene in the film where that, woman does die was actually one of the first accidents that i filmed um and it happened kind of the first week that i was in this ambulance and i was just totally unprepared and um at that time wasn't even trying to film patients or their relatives at all i was just filming with one camera that was mounted on the hood of the ambulance and hoping that it would just capture um Juan and his father as they were driving, but this mother gets into the front of the ambulance the only time over the course of three years that anyone who wasn't um, wasn't um, uh, in the front of the ambulance. And I filmed the journey from 
the accident to the hospital just because the camera was there and it was rolling and I kind of had no way of, of turning it off. And um, I almost deleted the footage the next day just because of how uncomfortable I felt with, with how it went down and ended up thinking about it a bit more and um, eventually showed it to an old film professor of mine who told me that I needed to go and, and try to meet that mother to at least tell her what had kind of happened. Um, and I had her address from the, the um, emergency call. So about six months after that that accident, I, I went and knocked on her door and she let me in and we spent about two hours together just talking about um, the the film and what had happened that night. And her daughter, Sonia, who had passed away, was a journalism student. And so she gave me the permission to, to use that scene. Um, so it was kind of one early example of showing me that if I kind of took the time to connect with people and and talk to them about the film, a surprising amount were willing to actually share moments that I kind of thought most people would want to keep private. You know, about half of the people I'd show up to an accident and they would ask for privacy and I would just have to turn the camera off. But another half were, were, were willing to open up and willing to share these really kind of harrowing moments of, of human life. Interesting that people are so willing to to do that. And what a heartwarming experience for you to be able to have gone back all those months later and connect with this woman's mother, you know, it was, you know, I figured that had to be a very uh, touching uh, reunion for you and learned a lot from it. Yeah, truly, truly one of, you know, an over overwhelming moment. We're still pretty closely <clears throat> in, in touch, too. That's nice. That's nice that you still are. Are you still, I'm sure, are you still in touch with the o- Ocha? Is that how you say it? Ocha family? Ocha family. Yeah, Ocha. I am. I am. I talk to them pretty regularly. I just talked to them yesterday, actually. Um, Keeping your relationship there. That's nice, too. Yeah. What's next for you, Luke? What are you working on next? Um, I'm slowly working on a new film. Um, I'm not talking about it too publicly yet, just okay. because I'm not sure if the, if the funding or the team is going to come together, as I hope. But I'm hoping in March to kind of start shooting the next thing. And um, who knows how, how long it'll take, but I'm excited to kind of move on to... Uh, are you um, want to stay in the documentary genre, or do you also want to get into features? Um, I do want to stay in documentaries. I, I, you know, if the right fiction film kind of came along, I might hop on it. But the process of being kind of deeply engaged with the real world and out there meeting people and telling their stories is a process that I find really meaningful and important. So I there's also agree. just in general the doc world i think is more exciting than it's ever been people are really giving the right funding and the right attention to to docs more and more every year so it's fun to be a part of that i agree and this show is dedicated to documentaries and independent filmmakers and all the people behind the scenes and uh we certainly like to shed light on these documentaries because as you said earlier um you didn't feel maybe necessarily at risk but so many document documentaries and documentarians and filmmakers um, do risk their lives to tell a story. So thank you for your work. Good luck. Uh, I wish you the best with everything, and thank you for being on the show. Yeah, thank you so much, Jen. I really appreciate you um, having me, and I apologize if my cold has kept me in a pretty monotone voice but i uh, appreciate the opportunity to to talk about the film with you i wish you as i said much luck you're fine with the cold you're fine (laughs) hope you get better soon (laughs) 
You can listen. All right. Thank you, Luke. You can listen to the Jam Price Show all about movies anywhere, anytime on the iHeart Podcast Network, Spotify, Google Poet Podcast, Apple Podcast, YouTube, and on your smart TV. Also, you can go to thejampriceshow.com to listen to archive shows and the Price Movie Minute movie reviews. Thank you for listening. On Power Talk AM 1460 and FM 101.1, streaming worldwide on iHeartRadio, Jan Price talks to the movers and shakers in the film business. The Jan Price Show. 